Matthew chapter 6. Go with me there if you would, please. If you haven't turned in your ballot, now's the time to get up and take it to the back. With that in mind, let's worship again through God's Word. Matthew chapter 6, we'll be in verse 10. I'll tell you a story that occurred in the church I used to serve before I was the pastor. I was a youth pastor there, and we, uh, we had a young man in the church. He's probably 30 years old now, which means I was about three when this happened. And uh, he, uh, he was what we call a rounder. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you live with one or two of those. Um, but his name was James, and James was always kind of pushing the edges of, of what it meant to be a church member as a, long, a young boy. His dad was one of our deacons. And during the invitation time in that church happened kind of like it happens in here sometimes and people would come up and the pastor invited people if they just needed to come up and pray for if they wanted counsel he would be there but they would just come up to the front and pray there's some value in that and so uh, so in the, this particular invitation time James got up and he was probably five six years old something like that I don't remember exactly and he made his way over to what would be my left side now in most Baptist churches the left side is reserved for the organ. And uh, if you don't know what that is, we have one over in the chapel. You can go look at it sometime. We'll lead a tour for you. But uh, <clears throat> he went over by the organ and he knelt down on the steps that were there and seemed to be praying. And the invitation went on and the invitation went on and people that had come to pray and counsel and all that was done. And the pastor noticed that James was still standing or kneeling over there in prayer. And so he uh, extended the invitation and it got to the point where it was an uncomfortable extension and so pastor made eye contact with this deacon who was the boy's father and he went over and he knelt down beside him in what was a nice family holy moment and the father leaned over and whispered into the boy's ear and the boy turned and looked at him and they could see that he was saying something in return and as soon as the boy finished talking the father grabbed him by the shoulder and got up and they started walking back to their chair they finished the service the pastor went to the deacon afterwards and he said that Seemed to be something going on there. Is there anything that I can help you with, with your son? And he said, the deacon kind of ducked his head and he said, no. James, uh, when I got up there, I said, son, is there anything that we need to talk about? And, you know, is God doing something in your life? And he said, no, daddy. I always wondered how the organ worked and I just was been up here watching it to see what I could learn about how an organ works. Now, I want to say to you, that's a good point for us to jump into our discussion of prayer. In your prayer life, how much of your prayer time is specifically given over to learning? My suspicion is that if you're very much like me at all, then prayer tends to not be about what can I learn from God here. It tends to be what can I inform God about here? I know that that's a little bit, you know, a little bit abrupt, and I don't really apologize for that because it really hits us right at the point of how we approach God. I, I've said it in a couple of different ways, and I'll just come back and say it just straight up today. Many times our prayers are reduced to giving information to God that we think He doesn't have already. God, I'm hurting down here and if you don't get involved you're going to lose a good preacher well maybe not me maybe some other preacher but that tends to be how we come to prayer oftentimes not always 
But sometimes it, it's that we come to God that way, and we don't come with a teachable spirit. We come with a haughty spirit, prideful and self-promoting spirit. Which brings us to this next phrase, the third petition in the Sermon on the Mount model prayer that Jesus gives to us. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and now the next phrase is, your will be done. If we translate that very literally, there is a causative element in it. It is better translated, let your will be done, or maybe even cause your will to be done. Now, that in itself needs to kind of back us up just a little bit. Sometimes we take this phrase as if it just given to rhyme well with the one that went before it. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Flows off the tongue very easily. But I'm going to submit to you this morning that if we will understand what Jesus is saying with those two statements together, it will definitively change how we approach life. That's a huge statement. Anytime we can come and say, if we get this part right, everything in life changes, we should pay attention to that statement. At least pay attention to see if you can prove me wrong. Let your kingdom come. We talked about that last week. And now, let your will be done. What is Jesus saying with that? Let me rephrase all of this to say this. Kingdom people, Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount. Follow instructions. But this phrase takes us another step. Kingdom people ask for instructions. Now we have a skewed view of prayer oftentimes. We kind of make it to where it's all about us. And I want you to see here that we know the, the Lord's Prayer, some people call it the model prayer, and... It's interesting when we step back from it enough to put the pieces of it together and see the overall thrust of it. You notice that we've gone now halfway through the model prayer when we get through with this little phrase today. And we haven't yet gotten to the point that are of things that are most important to us. Give us this day our daily bread. I don't know if it's not going to be a surprise to you. You can tell by looking at me. I like to eat. Okay, Prayer about food is big on my list. Lord, make it a good dessert. No, I don't have to do that. I'm not a bread kind of guy. My wife likes bread and bread stuff. I, I like if, well, never mind, just look at me. You know I like food, okay? I don't have any problem praying, give us today our daily bread. And matter of fact, I don't mind praying, Lord, give us today tomorrow's daily bread. But before we ever get to those things, even before we get to the forgive us our debts part, Jesus is blocking off the first half of prayer, acknowledging who God is. You know what that tells me? That tells me that he knows that our biggest issue is letting him be God. Our Father, the one in heaven, none like you. What a great opportunity to be reminded of that through song this morning. There is none like our God. His love for us is enduring. It's deep. It's more than we can even fathom. And he says to us, I love you and you can love me. But we struggle with that. Our Father, the one in heaven. And then he begins to craft the prayer for us. And by the way, this is not just one for us to repeat. It's one for us to model our lives after. 
a continuing element of how we pray needs to be God we recognize who you are and so let us then reflect on you correctly that is hallowed be your name or let your name be holified in my life and let your kingdom come you're the boss you call the shots let it be done accordingly in my life and all around me let it be so and now we come to this one make it so let your will be done And then that final phrase, on earth as it is in heaven, carries all of those things together and wraps it up for us. As all is done to God's glory, as he is king and calls the shots in heaven, as his will is done in heaven, so let all of those things be done on earth with us. Does that capture your prayer life? If I could get you to step back... Take a piece of paper and write out your typical prayer. Maybe to to just summarize your whole prayer life as you look back over the last week. If you could put it down on paper, how much of your prayer life centers on God be God and don't let me try to be. That's a struggle for all of us, I think. So our prayer life, the way we view prayer, seems to be a little bit off-center. A good way for us to approach this is to continue to ask this question of our circumstances and how we view and how we come to prayer. The question is, where's God in this? I was saying in the earlier service, uh, you know, this is kind of one of those preacher stories. I guess it happened so much that it's kind of gotten into preacher folklore. But we saw this in our own lives one time, so I know that it actually happens. not one of those preacher stories that, you know, somebody makes up. You know when kids act up in church? I know that never happens in your family, but occasionally in some other families out there, kids act up in church, and in the old days especially, and there's nothing attached to this, don't read anything into it, but in the old days in churches, parents would take their kids and take them out when something like that happened. Now, in my family, take them out had a different connotation than what it probably does for you. And in the church that we served, this boy was one of those rounders, one of those deacon kids again, and he was acting up and going crazy and <laughs> might have even happened in the preacher's family at some point. But uh, the kid gets up and the parents taking him out and the little boy takes his hands down the side of the deal and he's grabbing as best he can to the walls as they're taking him out, screaming, no! And then he lets out, y'all pray for me. Now, what do you think he wants them to pray for him? That his daddy will suddenly suffer from paralysis? Might be. Where's God in that prayer? Where's God in your prayers? So often we take prayer, we reduce it to self-serving communication. I like what one scholar said, it is strange that we seldom ask for a change of character but regularly ask for a change of circumstance you know what that means in other words we ask that God change the circumstances rather than change us I'm going to say this again at the end I want to make sure you get it now so you can be chewing on it to ask God to change your character requires incredible trust in him To change the circumstance is to change it to your liking. To change character takes it out of your hands. And he makes you what he wants you to be. It's a tough prayer. 
So in order to pray that prayer, here's what I want to just kind of, if I could just insert it into your mind now, let it germinate a little bit and come full bloom for you, not just in this sermon, but as we go forward. Do you walk with God enough to know him well enough, to trust him enough, to be 100% obedient to him regardless of the cost? And we'll come back to that at the end, but let me give it to you one more time. Do you walk with God enough? That's that daily living. Do you walk with him enough in order to know him well enough? Not know about him, but know him. Do you walk with him enough to know him enough, to trust him enough, to release yourself to him and trust him completely to be 100% obedient regardless of what he might ask you to do? That's a life-changing question if you can move to a yes answer. So let's look at this very quickly. Well, the passage itself, what does it say? It's not hard for us to get to that. There's not a whole lot of unpacking and laying stuff out like I do sometimes with us. It's pretty simple. Let your will be done. Now, I know in the English version, the word let's not in there, but that carries the emphasis that comes out of the original text that it's a causative kind of thing. Cause your will to be done, but it's not just totally in God's hands, although it is mostly in God's hands. He allows us to participate in the process. It's kind of like that hallowed be your name. God's name is already holy, so we don't have to pray that somehow it becomes holy. The whole focus there in that causative sense is God cause it to be holy by changing me. And that's the idea here. Let your will be done. Now, what it says is one thing. What it means to us is a little harder for us to get to sometimes. And so let's talk about it. Is it necessary that we pray that God be sovereign? And the answer to that is no, okay? I'll help you with this. Sometimes I won't give you the answer, but this time. It is not necessary for us to pray that God be sovereign. You understand sovereign, in charge, in control, all of those kind of things. Now, that's a big discussion, those two words there. We don't have to ask God to be sovereign. He is. We don't have to pursue that, that we somehow help him be that. He just is. That's reality. So then why is Jesus putting this on us, And the answer is because there's a rebellion in the kingdom. He's king. We talked about that last week. But we fight our tendency to be in control. So we're the rebellion element. We talked about all of that last week. We take it a step further here. And so what Jesus is saying for us then, when we pray this part of prayer, let your will be done, in, a, in essence what we're doing is we're acknowledging that he is the true king. We're moving ourselves off of the throne, allowing him to be who he is. We're also acknowledging our own power-hungry condition. I want to be God. I want to call the shots. I want not just God to do my will, but I demand that you do my will. Is that true for you? Let's take it into the practical realm of living to see how much this affects us. Use this in the earlier service, I'll use it today. A lot of times I'll switch illustrations because the crowd's different, but maybe this one hits for all of us. When you go to the grocery store and you go to that lane that is the express lane, and it has a sign up there that says, This lane for people with item with how many items? Let's say twenty items or less. Okay? Do you count items in your basket? I count items in your basket. 
Sorry. It just is what it is. Okay. I think I take instruction well for the most part. I learned a long time ago, if I don't agree with them, like with my dad give me instructions, I learned pretty early. You get smacked if you don't agree with him. So at least keep your ideas to yourself. And so I can do that pretty well. I take instructions very well. Help me out when I went to school. They'd give me a syllabus. Okay, I got to do this. I'd make a calendar. I'd get all that kind of stuff. I can follow directions pretty well. And so it doesn't do much for me when other people don't follow instructions very well. You know what that problem is with me? Control. If I'm willing to be holy and sanctified and follow directions, then why can't you reprobates do that? (laughs) Tell me you don't think that way about people when you get behind them and they've got 24 items when it's supposed to be 20. And then they're the ones who have some kind of checkout problem and they've got to go send somebody back to get some kind of information. Eats me up when that happens. Because I'm a control freak, just like you. Now, you may not have issues in the grocery checkout stand, but you got issues on control stuff. I loved yesterday, we had cancer, uh, cancer time, uh, question and answer time. That's cancer together. And the question asked to Brian was, do you squeeze the toothpaste from the middle or the bottom? You know what I love about the question? Everybody immediately related to that. Well, everybody who's married anyway. Teenager going, toothpaste, what's that? (laughs) Control. Control, control, control. So when Jesus says, your kingdom come, we talked about that, your will be done. It is a voluntary acknowledgement that my will's not best. I hate that when he tells us to pray like that. Because I like my will. That's my problem. I like my will too much. And I don't submit to his. And Jesus knows that that's the fundamental problem with every one of us. I'll be God. I got this. Now, we don't bother to take an honest step back and look really honestly at our lives and see how just how much we don't got this. But push comes to, so, to shove. It's okay, God, I got this. And then we get bent out of shape when he doesn't reward our perceptions. Don't ever forget that God has the plan that will bring you fulfillment in life. And so this part of prayer is the one that says, okay, God, I recognize that I have this rebellious streak in me and I park it to the side in favor of what you want. But you know what that means coming into it is we need to know from him what he wants. So I'm back to the organ thing with the kid. I always wanted to know how one of these things worked. At least he was smart enough to go up there while it was working to try to figure it out. How much do I do that with God in prayer? How much do you do that with God? God? My life's not working well, God. I always want to know how to make it work. Would you please show me what I need to know? But so many times as Christian people, we live the surface of the Christian life. Picture the ocean out there and you get 150 miles offshore, 1,050 miles offshore, and it's deeper than you can even imagine, but all you see is the surface part of it. So many Christians live their lives on the surface 
of the depths of who God is and what he brings to us in life. And we never plumb the depths of what he offers to us. And then we get disillusioned because it doesn't work out the way we want it to sometimes. All the while, I think God in heaven says, if you just ask me, I'll tell you how to have life that will blow your mind. But we prefer our nature. It's just part of our condition. It's not good for us. Matter of fact, it hurts us in a number of different ways. And we're under pressure to conform to the spirit of this age. To that spirit that is out there at work in the world that says, live for yourself. You be in charge. Self-promotion. Put yourself out there. Live. Grab it. What is it? YOLO. You only live once. Do your thing. You know what that is? That's dumb. I told you my professor at seminary, just don't be dumb, guys. (laughs) So that part of us that wants to be in charge and that pressure wins out from time to time and we begin to get concerned with our own little name now i use little here on purpose when you compare all that brian took us today to places about who god is and helping us to see him in all of his grandeur and how he reaches to us and he bridges the gap and so when we look at ourselves we're little compared to who he is And yet we get our lives all out of whack and we want to live and we get so concerned with our own little name and our reputation. What are people going to, oh my goodness, all that holy roller stuff, people are going to think I'm nuts. You are nuts. Just accept it. Everybody's nuts. This whole planet's nuts. Be nuts for the right reason. Focused in the right direction. We get concerned with our own little name and we get concerned with our own little empire. It's got to be about me, and it's got to be my way. Ultimately, we get consumed with our own little will. And it does incredible damage to the kingdom of God. Stanley Hauerwas said this, to pray this way, just let your will be done. To pray this is to pray that our wills will be schooled to his desires. Our will, the will of the world, will nail Jesus to the cross. Let me pursue that with us for just a moment. Remember what Jesus said as he started out this Sermon on the Mount. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And what he's saying to us is, we're here for a reason. God doesn't just leave us here so that we could be saved and feel good about ourselves. If that's all there was to it, the moment we accepted Christ, he would just translate us to heaven and it would all be over. But he has a task for us. And I'll continue to say this to us as a church. Our job is not just to come in here and feel great about God and feel great about ourselves. That's all important, but he calls us to make a difference in this community. Hello? That's a good time for a big amen, but you're not there yet. It's okay, we'll get there. That's it. Salt of the earth, light of the world. We have a task here in this community. We better get it. We better get the worship part of it right. We better get the personal, abundant life part of it right. But that's not just for us to feel good about ourselves. 
people outside of the doors of this church, I suspect, I don't know who lives behind us here, but I suspect as close as behind us, across the street, wherever you go in this area, somebody is dying because they don't have life. Why do you think God put this church here? But when we get wrapped up in our will being done rather than his will being done, we break the process. Case in point, two churches. I'm reading this book. I read all kinds of different stuff. Some of it I write about every once in a while. Some of it nobody cares about, so I don't bother you with it. But occasionally I get some good stories out of it. Let me give you a point. This book I'm reading now is talking about management in church and congregation and different elements going on. So I'm in a portion, or just finished a portion, about uh, conflict in church. Uh, It's a uniquely Baptist part of the book, even though it's not a Baptist book. Uh, Baptists are great at conflict. When I took Baptist history, a third of my grade was on one book about the fighting Baptists. We just do that. We find stuff to fight about. If there's not a crisis, we're going to create one because we just love the fight as Baptists. And it's interesting that both of the stories that I'm getting out of this particular book at this particular time are not Baptist churches. So apparently we haven't cornered the market on fighting. This one church, Peoria, Illinois. A judge's order that the church vote on whether to keep the pastor or not. Now, that in itself ought to make you stand up and take note, okay? So it got so bad in the church, these people were fighting. The pastor had a problem with people in the church, because, well, for a number of reasons. So 250 of the people in the church decided they didn't like him enough for him to be able to preach anymore. So every time he'd stand up to preach, they'd start yelling and screaming and stuff so nobody could hear him. Don't get any ideas. And so after that happened, another part of the church, they didn't like that happening, so they got up and started yelling and screaming at the other people who were up yelling and screaming. Where's God in that? See how important that little question is? One group says, our will must be done. Another group says, no, no, not your will. Our will must be done. And God says, and what about my will in this? So a judge had to intervene to get them to have a valid vote on whether the pastor got to stay or not. You know what I think they should have done? Should have just locked the doors and gone on. Because their history, if God's will doesn't matter. Another church, this one's not a Baptist church either. They had such a fight break out in a worship service, they had to call the police out to break up the fisticuffs that were going on. In church! Where's God in that? Whose will is preeminent in that situation? And the sad thing about both of those stories is there are churches all across America today who don't have judges involved and they don't have police officers involved, but they got such a battle of wills going on that to ask where's God in that church is a question nobody would even consider because he's not really very welcome there. This is serious stuff. And we just go right over the top of it so quickly because it sounds good. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, that's a great, it's a romantic thought that God would really be involved in our lives. And Jesus says before you even get to the down in the dirt living for you, you've got to get this right. What's your first prayer of the day? What's the 
first thing when you wake up in the morning and your thoughts go to God, whatever time that is and however long you've been up, when you first go there, what's your first thought of the day? Let me challenge you this week, before your feet ever hit the floor, before you ever roll out of bed, pray this basic prayer. God, your will, make it so. That'll change you. Let me just bring this right down to the issue of the day before us. In just a handful of minutes now, we're going to come and we're going to vote on a guy who this church and the committee that this church put together has said, we believe that this is God's man for us at this time. I'm going to tell you something. I like this guy for the most part. I like him. No, I'm just saying if you're listening, I like him. And if I was just voting on whether I like him or not, he, he gets a yes for me, all right? But it doesn't matter if I like him because this is not a popularity contest that we have, okay? And if you're sitting out there and you're thinking, well, you know, uh, sure not Dory. He's not. If God wanted Dory here, Dory would still be here, okay? The question of the day is, is this God's man for us? What is God's will in this? Make it so. But you see, that's dangerous for us because we have what we like. And we easily reduce Christianity to what we like and we make it about our will. And we take God and in a very non-ceremonial way, We pick him up off of the throne, we move him over and drop him so that we can pick him up when our circumstances get out of control. The problem with that is God's not going to be picked up and dropped by anybody because he's God. And so this is a prayer about us. It's not a prayer about him. It's a prayer about me. God, I recognize that I have a problem with me. It's three times now in our prayer. Look at this prayer that that's been the theme driving it. Let your will be done. In order to pray that, back to what I told you I'd come back to, in order to pray that, you're going to have to know God enough. I'm talking about know Him. I'm not talking about knowing about Him. I could take some of our kids from Sunday school here. I love what our Sunday school has done with children in this church. I could take them up here and I could say, tell me the story of Jonah and they'd be able to tell me. Tell me the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors. They'd be able to tell me that. And I could go through all kinds of Bible stories. Daniel in the lion's den, they could tell me that. I, I could ask you those questions. You could tell me the answers to those things. But it's one thing to know about something. It's another thing to know God. You can know every Bible verse there is. You can quote the whole Bible and miss God in it. If you don't let him be God. So do you know God enough? By the way, the only way you get to that point is you walk with him. You spend time with him. You go to prayer and you listen. And you figure out what he's saying about how life works. And you take that in. And you walk with him and you let him prove himself. And you deepen your roots in him. So you walk with him enough to know him enough that you can trust him. Trust being a release of self, a giving over of all control. How threatening does that sound? Well, he might send me to Africa. 
He might. Or he might send you across the street. That's a lot harder than going to Africa. I know people go all over the world, fly on airplanes, ride on boats, go all over the world to tell people they don't know about Jesus, but they won't go to their next-door neighbor and tell him. You know what that is? That's crazy. That's a stench in God's nostril. If you're willing to go but not stay. But he might tell you to go. All of those things. You see, it's not about me and what I'm comfortable with. It's about him. Do you walk with him enough to know him enough to trust him enough? Release yourself to be totally obedient to him regardless of the cost. He might make me sell my business. He might. He might make me break up with my girlfriend. He might. He might give me crazy abundant life. He will. Every time. All the time. No exceptions. Do you have that life? Honestly, the Christianity that you enjoy, is it worth passing on to somebody else? Or is it possible that there's a deeper life there for you? Make it so, God. Let's pray.